Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. In the first part of my interview with my guest, whom we're calling Brother Mo, he traced his call to missions in Israel and helped us work through the right balance when it comes to the Abrahamic Covenant, modern Zionism, and the Great Commission. In the last half of our conversation, we move on to more practical considerations of ministering in Israel, beginning with the often frustrating and difficult logistical hurdles when it comes to securing legal entry and residence in the country. And then finally, and most importantly, we discuss the actual work of the ministry in Israel, including some of the first fruits that Brother Mo and his family have been able to see in their efforts in the Jezreel Valley. Thank you again for tuning in to this second part of the interview with Brother Mo on the topic of ministering in Israel. We pick right up where we left off in part one. There is an antagonism, if, if we could use that word, within the Israeli government, which is, which is a secular government in, in Israel. Israel is not a place where a Bible-believing Christian can go, uh, particularly a Gentile can go and just say, Hey, I'm a missionary. Hey, I'm starting a church. Uh, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to, I'm here to do evangelism. There are still some places in the world that you can do that. Israel's not one of them. Right. So one of the major challenges for foreign workers ministering in a lot of places, but I, I think certainly in the land of Israel is getting the necessary visas to remain in the country. And that seems to be a task that is increasingly difficult and it's something that you've been up against and are still dealing with. So what can you tell us about what it's taken for you thus far to remain in the country ministering in Israel? Well, one of the things I saw um, very quickly in our, um, in our preparation trips to come here was not only do we need to, 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 to seek and to plan and to pray about how to get here but we also need to put that same amount of effort, if not more, in how to stay here. Um, there are a number of avenues that you could take to get your foot in the door, and you know it would be it would be ill advised just to focus on that and then say, okay, we'll, we'll just we'll just figure it out from from there. It, it was a a normal part of our of our thinking and our prayers uh, when we were called here. Is Lord, don't just please don't just bring us here for a, a an extended missions trip. Um, we are, our, our mindset is that we want to serve here, uh, long-term as long as you would have us. And, uh, and so we're going to think towards that regard. And one of the reasons that kind of had us in that mindset was I, I was speaking with, uh, somebody with a lot of uh, experience in, um, Jewish evangelism all over the world in Israel in Europe and in, in South America and in the U S and other places. And he told me once that in his experience, it took on average 10 years from the introduction of the gospel until the salvation for a Jewish person. Wow. And, you know, just kind of using that metric, I said, all right, Lord, you know, if that, if that metric is, is anywhere close to reality, then if we are going to do what you have put in our heart and what you have tasked us to do, then we're going to need some time. And, uh, and you're the only one that can do that for us. 
So our strategy has been really to kind of shoot roots as deeply into the ground as possible and make it very, very hard to be plucked out. And uh, the Lord was able to bring us here by business. And uh, even even my preparation to come here after I left the military, I, I really expected that I was going to be pushing the broom at the local base uh, Burger King, you know, because I wasn't sure what kind of job I would be qualified for uh, and how, it, how what kind of job I'd be able to get quickly. Um, when I left the military and stayed on in Germany, but the Lord gave me a great opportunity working in the technology sector and uh, gave me a couple of years of really good business experience. And we were able to use that, uh, started a business here that gave us five years of, uh, of our visa uh, being renewed annually. And during that whole time, we're just, we're sinking roots into the ground. We did this with the business, by the way, in Israel, uh, the two questions you're going to get when somebody uh, meets you for the first time is what uh, what unit in the Israeli army did you serve with and what do you do for a living? And it's 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 more than just, you know, uh, small talk. They really want to know what you do for a living. This, things are very business minded here. Mm-hmm. And so we were very thankful that the Lord gave us that opportunity to come here on a business visa, even if we were able to come here on some kind of ministry visa um, or clergy visa, uh, it would have been very hard to connect with people as we have by answering that question. Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor or I'm a missionary or I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher or something like that. They would have said, Oh, okay, no. So what do you do for a living? (laughs) (laughs) So being here on a business and, and starting up my own business and being a small business owner and an entrepreneur and those sorts of things, I was speaking their language. Okay, I didn't serve in the Israeli army, so I, I didn't have that in. But the business part was was very very useful, and uh, you know we with with schools, you know we made a, a very difficult very difficult decision uh, to put our children in the uh, in the schools here with a lot of watching and a lot of fasting and a lot of prayer and a lot of uh, support. Uh, we got involved in in our community is in as many ways as we could, and all the while we're doing this. And keeping our focus on on why, on the why we're doing this. And we're doing this so that we can have that opportunity, that long-term opportunity to continue to build those relationships, to continue to to witness to people, to continue to plant the, that seed. And, uh, you know, in Israel, I've likened it to riding a bull. And unfortunately, you, it's easy to get the idea that the, the goal here is just to keep riding the bull until the eight seconds are up or until you get thrown off. Just hold on as tight as you can. But there's, there's, a, big, there's a bigger purpose. You know, it's, not just a, it's not just a matter of hang on for dear life. It's a matter of, of be here and accomplish the purpose wherewith we were sent. And uh, making sure that we keep that in focus has been very, very important. Yeah, that that balancing the the how and the why, I think that's a that's a challenge in a lot of different fields and and the the business element the um, the 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 visa requirements can really put a put a strain on the 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 main reason that you're there. They can uh, psychologically and and in terms of your time constraints and so forth. I, I, let me that. You describing that situation raises a another question in my mind. If I could back up and and ask this to you, um, sure. The the missions enterprise as it is in the in the states, at least among independent Baptist churches, um, 
like you and I uh, have been a part of. You profess a call to a particular field. We've discussed that. And then there's a season of, of support raising in mm-hmm. view of going to that field. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what to, what to do about this, but you take a guy that spends and the, the cost of living in Israel, it sounds, it's, it's probably pretty high. Um, yes, sir. Comparable with anywhere else in the West and, and perhaps worse in some ways because of other elements that you've already, that you've already mentioned, very limited <laughs> real estate there. And then the major <laughs> emphasis on business. But um, at what stage in this whole calling fundraising transitioning to the foreign field, at what stage does a guy need to grapple with some of these logistical considerations that you've just walked us through about how exactly am I going to get in the, into this country and how am I going to stay in the country? And I'm not trying to, in raising the question, I'm not trying to take God out of the equation. I'm not suggesting to, but but I also think at the same time that we could be, we perhaps could be careless and just have sort of this flippant, well, God will God will take care of it once I'm there. I think mm-hmm. living by faith requires our due diligence uh, to do what we can um, to to obey the Lord and to be wise. Do you think that there's more that a guy can do on the front end to prevent because it's a it's a really unfortunate thing. And I'm not saying that it can be altogether avoided, but it's a very unfortunate thing for a man to raise support and eat up some of the some of the necessary resources for missions and then get to a place that he can't stay more than a year, two years, whatever. So is there more that can be done on the front end? Yeah. You know, I think, I think first off, there needs to be an awareness. You know, if you're going to a country where you know that you're not just going to be able to just move and set up shop or uh, operate as a tourist, or, you know, you have some other, you know, more permanent um, and more simplified way of getting in. I, I believe that you owe it to the churches, the pastors, and, and ultimately you owe it to the Lord to do your due diligence on it. Um you know, our pastor used to always tell us, you know, work like everything depends on you and pray like everything depends on God. Right. And he would he would kind of beat that 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 principle into us when we were uh, in training. And so I, I just I, t- I took it as my personal responsibility that I need to do everything that I can. But while still maintaining that balance of understanding that at the end of the day, none of my plans are going to be the thing that keep that gets us to Israel or keeps us into Israel. Um, it's, it's the thing that the Lord opens and I just have to have my eyes open for that. And I, and I tried to be as honest as I could. I mean, we really didn't have perfect clarity on uh, our exact method of getting, gaining entrance into Israel until we were um, well over halfway through deputation. And uh, even at the end, I mean, there's, it, it was no guarantee that what we were doing was going to work. And, uh, you know, we would just try to stay prayerful and aware of the opportunities. And in our case, there was a, uh, not only what the Lord was doing in our life, as far as preparing us and giving us some, I guess, some resume bullets for lack yeah. of a better term yeah. that would aid in that process. But also, you know, we, there was a brother in our church in Germany that was starting his own business and uh, long story short, we basically um, worked together to start a branch of his business with me being the owner in Israel. 
uh, of it. And it was it, on paper when you're going to a foreign country uh, to to start a business or get on some kind of work visa, they're going to want they're wanting to see what's what's the economic impact. You know, what are you going to bring to the table that would want us to uh, to want to allow you to live and to work here? And uh, you know, a little small local. Um, you know, digital enterprise is is not interesting to the land of of startups and high tech and and uh, you know all the things that Israel is known for. And yet, we were confident that this is what the Lord wanted us to do. And we just kind of bit our teeth and closed our eyes and we kept walking forward. And the Lord opened the door. I mean, up to the point where my lawyers have told me uh, at a number of places in our renewals year by year. They said, you know, we have clients that work for that. You know, we have clients like like eBay and Amazon and, you know, big international corporations that are getting work visas for their personnel that want to come and work in Israel. And it's it's like pulling teeth. And yours just seems to always go through relatively easily. And I <laughs> I said, well, it's not because I have a suitcase of money that I'm sliding underneath the table at the Ministry of Interior when I go to, you know, renew my visa, you know the Lord wants us here. And if we're here, it's, it's going to be because of the Lord. So, and, and I think we just saw that as an opportunity and we were aware and we were praying and we were praying long-term and we were just trying to do our part as insignificant as that was and, um, and, and see what the Lord was opening up and just trying to be obedient and following that. Well, that is helpful. We, at the end of the day, all of us, we are cast upon the Lord. He is the one that opens doors that no man can shut and shuts Amen. doors that no man can open. Uh, but you're describing the the process that you you were still trying to do what you could building you know building a resume, um, networking with people that might be able to have some kind of business uh, startup that would that would work internationally, and I think I think at least doing the research, working, getting the legwork started. And being aware of the policies, the limitations, the requirements, which are, which are constantly changing all by themselves, I, right. I think doing that on the front end is just a matter of prudence and wisdom. And, and I do think that that is, I think that's part of this thing. I mean, if we're called to go to the foreign field, we're going to have to do the legwork to, to get access to that foreign field once we have the support to, to exist there. So I, I, I think that, uh, your input there is is helpful. I appreciate you walking us through that. Um, so those visa related efforts, whatever they may be, are of course secondary to the spiritual objectives of mission. And and we've already we've waded into this just a little bit, um, balancing the the how and the why. Um, but I want you to tell us a little bit a little bit about life and ministry in the land of Israel. What are when it comes to evangelism? What are some of the like like there are certain law anti-evangelism laws on the books, if I'm not mistaken, in the land of Israel, and there are in other parts of the world too for certain mm -hmm. segments of the population. So, and then and then you, you have it's a it's its own unique culture. It's obviously not like doing uh, personal work necessarily in the states. It's certainly not like door-to-door -door visitation, say where I where I'm living currently in Middle Tennessee. So what are some of the methods of evangelism that you're able to engage in from within Israel? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. So Israel has uh, you know, really only two um, laws that uh, would affect uh, evangelism, would affect giving the gospel. Uh, and they're, they're pretty simple. You know, one is you can't uh, evangelize or proselytize a minor. 
Um, so anybody under the age of 18. And then the other one is you can't, um, you can't entice or offer uh, any physical goods, money, food, clothing, jobs, whatever the case may be, uh, to lure somebody in to hear a religious message or there can't be any any kind of a, a payback you know in their mind so those are pretty simple and fairly easy to abide by I mean uh, the the minors issue you know I, I can't give the gospel to a minor legally but my minor children can give the gospel to their minor children friends legally so yeah. there's there's you know there's there's ways to be able to navigate through those things the the tricky part is that when you are giving the gospel here, when you are engaging in an evangelism of, of, of really of any kind and somebody who is, is against that catches wind, what they will do is they will try to pin one of those two things. Even if they're not legitimate, they'll try to pin one of those two things on you. So for example, um, there was a case where a gospel track was put in a mailbox, which is, which is not uncommon here. And we've done that. Um, the, I believe, 12-year-old daughter uh, uh, that was living in that apartment uh, got the mail, got the, uh, got the gospel track, opened it, was, you know, reading it, was interested, uh, showed it to her father, and, you know, her father was, was just livid uh, that this was there. And what they did is they said, <laughs> the father actually went on record for, as saying that he would have rather have his daughter's 12 year old daughter find pornographic material in his mailbox than to find literature about Jesus Christ. Amazing. Which kind of gives you uh, that, you know, the Bible says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. So you kind of get an idea of, of the, the, the thickness and the level of that blindness. But what they will do then is they will say, well, okay, this made it into the hands of a minor. And so, and so that's illegal, even though that was not given, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one from a, an adult to a minor. So, when I got here and when, when people do come here with a, with a, a mind for, for working in the gospel, for laboring in the gospel, you're bombarded with everything that you supposedly cannot do. <laughs> and if you're not careful, that spirit of fear and of discouragement um, will be deadly to your ability to be able to minister. And so we've, we've tried to do a little bit of everything, but everything we do, we do strategically. And I remember, and I was very thankful, there was a, a brother that was a veteran uh, servant here. And uh, he told me early on, he said, listen, I'm willing to try anything to be able to give the gospel here, even if it's something you supposedly can't do. And, and, and the idea was not, I'm, I'm willing to break the laws, but I'm not willing to just say, oh, that doesn't work here, or that's not allowed here. I'm going to find out and I'm going to do, I'm willing to try anything and everything for the opportunity to be able to give somebody the gospel. And so I, we, we've tried to have, take that, that mentality and not be influenced by that spirit of fear and discouragement. Um, we've, you know, distributed literature and mailboxes. We've given out Bibles in public uh, and, and engaged in open public conversations. Um, we've even done, done some public ministry. Uh, you know, I, I, it's not something that we can do all the time and not something that we can do everywhere. We have to be extremely wise and, and how we do that and what we do, but we've done it in two very religious places uh, uh, of all places, Jerusalem and Tiberias. So 
we, we are unwilling to just say, oh, we're, we're so limited and we're only going to be, you know, kind of the field mice, uh, you know, scurrying out into the light for just a moment and scurrying back into the safety of, of uh, you know, our hole. We, we want to try to accomplish the purpose wherewith we were sent here. And so one of the things we're doing right now um, is we're partnering with an organization that does provide for some physical needs for new immigrants here, but they're, instead of sending some unknown, uh, not gospel-minded uh, organization money to do that, we're actually the boots on the ground doing that. And right. we have uh, uh, almost every week groups of anywhere from 30 to 50 people that are receiving care packages from us that we have their contact information and we are physically handing this 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 material to them and they know where it's coming from. We give a, uh, a quick five-minute presentation of the gospel um, uh, to the group. And then if anybody shows any interest, uh, you know, if anybody uh, has any questions, then we have an opportunity one-on-one -on -one to be able to talk with them and, uh, and be able to kind of, you know, see where they're at spiritually and see if, uh, if they have any interest in speaking further about, uh, about the gospel and what Jesus Christ did. Um, but most of all, what we do is we look for, and we take advantage of, uh, of one-on-one -on -one engagements. Um, People here are naturally inquisitive, and that works in our favor. Uh, by the way, you, you alluded to this earlier. You know, if I were going to the Philippines or Mexico or Russia, you know, I'd have to learn, uh, you know, about that culture through books and through videos and through sure. uh, trips and all those things. Uh, we have a great advantage. You know, people look at Israel as that there's some distinct disadvantages, and that, and that is definitely true. But we have the distinct advantage in that by simply me reading and studying the book that I'm supposed to be reading and studying anyway every day, I have not only the history of the Jewish people, but I have the psychology. Amen. I have I have the uh, I have the textbook on how the Jewish soul thinks and operates and views the world, and that's, that's been a, a great, great great opportunity. Point. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. So we have, you know, for example, religious young men, when they are away from their, their circle, um, are very curious and you, you can easily engage a, you know, a 20 year old young religious man, Haredi, you know, white and black and, you know, all the religious garb, and you can get into a 45 minute hour long conversation uh, about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, about who he is. And, um, that's possible. You have to, but you have to be looking for those opportunities. Um, another great example is, is, you know, Israel is quite matriarchal. I know that kind of maybe goes against uh, what we think about in the scriptures, but, you know, Abraham would have said in his, in his encounter with Sarah, Sarah was extremely influential in Abraham's life for good <laughs> and bad. Um, you know, Rachel, uh, Rebecca, I mean, you could see that this pattern is, is clearly exhibited in the scriptures. And so, Women and children, mothers and children are extremely um, important here. And to kind of contrast with, Israel, with, with Germany, you know, we, had, we have six children. And having six children in Germany um, was very strange to the typical German. Having six children in Israel is incredibly not strange. And so my wife and our children have been greatly, greatly used by the Lord in opportunities to get to know people, to get to know families. Um, matter of fact, the, the woman that got saved earlier last year, the beginning part of last year, right when Corona began to uh, kick off, um, was a four year, four plus year relationship 
uh, that started with my wife at our local park with the kids. And uh, this, this mother was there with her kids. And the Lord eventually used that. And uh, this woman received Jesus Christ. Um, and almost all of the contacts that we have started somewhere with just being out in the community, engaging with people, um, working in tourism. My business is, is uh, doing tours. And so one of the things that I, I work into all of our tours that's unique is we have a tour guide, an Israeli tour guide. And when the tour group goes home, guess who's still here? You know, it, it's, it's, it's an added yeah. opportunity where I have 15, 20, 25, 30 people that are able to be a living, walking testimony for a week to 10 days right. to these. And I, I typically will only work with lost Israeli guides on purpose sure. uh, so that they can have that testimony. And then I, when they're, they're home, I'm already home. I'm here. And so I have an opportunity and I've had the opportunity to sit and meet people in their home, to invite people to my home that we met through the business, which is, which is amazing. Um, I'm learning jujitsu right now for a number of purposes, but one of the, the the plans that I have for it is to start training um, children and young men, and my wife can train the women uh, and get certified to do that. Why? Because I want to be around. I want to get have an opportunity with young people. I want to be around the demographic of of you know that eighteen to forty, you know, something odd year old Israeli male. Um, so that I can have a bond with them and have an opportunity to gain entrance into their, into their lives and preach the gospel. So those one-on-one -on -one engagements are so, so critical here. And, and it sounds like they're, they're the far more fruitful sorts of engagement. And I appreciate, of course, it sounds like, as you've stated, that you're open to sowing the seed in any way possible. But um, I think it's true just about anywhere in the world that the most fruitful kind of evangelism is the personal kind, uh, building relationships. And if there's any truth to that, um, to that metric that you were uh, informed of by a uh, by seasoned uh, evangelist to Israelis, that oftentimes you're ten years from the introduction of the gospel to conversion with many of the people then it seems like a lot of your energy would be well spent in trying to develop those relationships. Um, and, and from built from those relationships, um, pretty natural opportunities develop to give the gospel. Um, I realize that just as, as with just about any place in the world, there's a significant religious diversity there, um, where you have actually, if, it's hard. It's hard to imagine on the one hand, but you actually have uh, secular Jews to the point, the, secular to the point of atheism, uh, mm -hmm. living in the land of Israel. Um, and on the other hand, you have um, Orthodox Jews that are that are extremely religious, and so you've got the whole gamut there. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, sim I'm simply curious. I think that uh, many of our listeners would be curious as well. What are some of the responses that you fielded in terms of people's familiarity with their own biblical heritage? Do you find that there is a uh, that there is a prevailing ignorance of of Old Testament history and culture among some of the Israelis that you interact with? And and I'm I'm also curious about the openness that people generally have to a conversation about Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, Israel is is a very 
it's it's a land of extremes and it's a land of opposites. You know, one of the 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 titles for Israel is the land of the Bible, and there are there are certainly a lot of ways, even in in modern metrics, that you could you could say that that's an actual an accurate term. Um, Israel actually has the highest percentage of homes with at least one Bible in it. Ninety five percent of Israeli homes have a Bible, and it's not. Uh, rocket science as to how that happens. Uh, you know, in Israel, from I believe second grade on through graduation of high school, they have a Tanakh class, an Old Testament class that is actually, uh, that's not so unique in the world. There are other countries that have religious classes, but this is required for graduation just as much as requirement for you have to take a, a, a final exam at the end of 12th grade in order to go into the army or get accepted into, into university uh, on the Old Testament. Um, wow. when you get into the army, when you enlist, you, uh, get a, you get an old Testament. So it's, it's not as if they're just, you know, clamoring to, to, to have a Bible in home, but so many homes have a Bible. Um, Israel hosts the international Bible quiz, um, uh, every independence day here, Yom Atzimut. And so you have, I mean, biblical expressions. Uh, one of the fantastic parts about living here is biblical expressions are, are a part of the common vernacular here. Um, you know, the, the, the saying, you know, someone has favor in, in their eyes. That's a normal way of speaking here, um, whether you're religious or not. Um, somebody once told me that if there's a tragedy that happens, people will still say it's very common for people to say, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Wow. I mean, that's kind of a random thing, but that is a common, commonly used expression here. So it's a, it's the land of the Bible. And from an outside perspective, a lot of times we might think because there's that history, because there is that familiarity, because there is that saturation with the Bible, then of course you can just talk, you know, tap anybody on the shoulder and get into a Bible conversation the same way that you would breathe oxygen. And brother, it's it's so far from the truth. So, so far from the truth. Wow. Um, you know, it, it is... They're ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It, it, it's so close. It's, it's in their lips, but far from their hearts. And so with all of those things in play, even this is even true for the religious. Uh, you might think of all people. Okay, maybe the secular Israeli might not be so familiar with the, with the Old Testament, with the Bible. But surely, you know, the the yeshiva, the the Bible, their, their version of a Bible college student, um, you know, surely they will be well-versed in it. And the problem is the religious, they're inoculated against their biblical heritage by their overemphasizing of their extra-biblical wow. heritage, their, their, their cultural heritage, the, the emphasis on the sages and the rabbis and the Talmudic writings and all of those things. Um, they, if you get into a, a, a spiritual conversation with somebody that is religious and they quote something to you, uh, I would say eight times out of 10, what they're going to quote is something from the Talmud or something from the Mishnah or something from the extra biblical oral law or extra biblical discussions. And even if you're talking about something that is clearly, okay, you can point to a scripture in, in the law or point to a scripture from the prophets. They will refer their, their first, when they reach into that bag, the first thing that they grab for is something that the rabbis said and not something that Moses wrote or that Jeremiah prophesied, or that David penned. And for the secular, they're inoculated against their biblical heritage because of how 
the Bible is treated in the public education system. It's taught. And again, my, my children uh, have their Tanakh classes. And so it's a part of our regular conversations. We're obviously very interested in what they're being told and taught about the Bible. And they're being taught the Bible by people that don't believe the Bible. And I'm, I'm not even saying don't believe the Bible like we believe the Bible. I'm saying they are agnostics and atheists that are Tanakh teachers and wow. the public education system here. And they treat the Bible to these second graders and third graders and uh, 12th graders and 11th graders as a quasi historical, mostly fable um, thing that, you know, just maybe have some good uh, truths, some good uh, practical living applications. And by the way, you just need it to pass. So let's just get through with this. I mean, I've had people tell me, I mean, adults my age and beyond that are in the education system dealing with young people Oh, Bible was the class that I hated the most. I couldn't wait to get done with the Bible, you know, with my with my Torah class and all of these things. And so that is that is the mentality here. So uh, it, it's not as easy as one might think because there's not that depth and breadth of knowledge that we might assume every Jew is just walking around with just by nature of their of their heritage. Um, if they're religious. You have to consider that even if they're willing to have a conversation uh, about about Jesus Christ with you, um, they're going they're not going to be happy about that name. It, it is that the, the practice is that they spit every time you say the name Jesus in English, Hebrew doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. I had a, a conversation about an hour long conversation with four young religious men just outside of Jerusalem uh, uh, over the past summer. And they were actually if you can be. This might sound difficult, but if you can be, they were actually mostly polite about it in that they weren't rearing back and spitting on the ground, you know, in a very exaggerated manner. But I, I kind of noticed uh, that they would just kind of turn their head slowly to the side and, you know, in a, in a quiet way, spit every time the name of Jesus was mentioned. And, you know, that is, that can be challenging to deal with, you know, and that, 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 that's been ingrained into their thought, you know, that is the name whereby <laughs> we must be saved. And, uh, and that is what they're taught about it. Um, however, it is becoming more and more common due to technology, due to uh, a host of different uh, reasons for Israelis to at least recognize the Jewishness of Jesus, to be willing to have some kind of conversation about, about who he is, what he stands for. But brother, you know, we, we think that fake news was something that just popped up in our conversation in, in the last, uh, you know, four to five years. You want fake news regarding who Jesus is, what he what his followers represent. Just today, my children, one, one of my our sons came home from school and they, there was a conversation about Jesus in, in their class. And the teacher who is a is a genuinely nice person, a good teacher, which is not everywhere here, um, said that she was told that the followers of Jesus, that, that Jesus was not, he didn't hate Israel, but that the followers of Jesus after Jesus's death went around killing Jewish people. Wow. Now, again, that's just one small example of that wall that's been, that's been put up. And that wall is, is not unique here. Um, like many places, we have to disassociate Bible-believing Christianity from the Roman Catholic Church. Sure. Um, I did a, a, a baby dedication last year at a, uh, again, a, a small secular um, 
rural community and they invited their their friends and their their neighbors to come in and so preach the gospel there and they came up afterwards and and called me you know so how long have you been a priest and they just assumed (laughs) even though i was wearing very normal clothing uh that i was you know some kind of a roman catholic father you know even though my wife and children were there which would have would have kind of given that away so (laughs) working through and past all of these things to try to get the truth into the heart of people is uh is definitely a challenge well, for all of those challenges, um, you certainly have reason to hope, and you have uh, also had occasion to see the power of the gospel of Christ effectual yeah. in the lives of uh, Hebrew people. You mentioned earlier in the conversation a uh, a lady that was that was converted after a four year. Uh, building a relationship with your wife over the course of four years, and you're you're beginning to see um, other fruits. So I, I'm wondering, uh, as we wind the conversation down, what um, what 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 has encouraged you about the uh, about the potential, the, the the future of the work, and what's your vision going forward? I think the most encouraging thing is because of what's going on in the world and, and listen, I, I'm, I'm not as uh, I'm just as put out by the events of the last uh, 15 to 18 months or so um, as, as anybody else, but uh, it has brought an understanding, a sensitivity to people that we have not seen in our short time here. Um, there are more people that are responding to what the Bible has to say that are, that are looking and uh, we've got a number of people that have had a renewed interest and in maybe a conversation that we had with them a couple of years ago where, where we brought the scriptures you know, into light and, and used them as a prism to kind of uh, shine light and understand a certain situation. And they were seeing more and more of a response to that. I mean, we have a, a small congregation here and uh, we have people that are actively interested in getting the gospel to people around them, which is, uh, which is amazing. Um, we have testimonies on a regular basis where people are ministering to their family, ministering to coworkers, and there is more of an openness generally than we have seen. And I think probably those that may have been here before have any experience, uh, they would also say that there is a, a generally increased opportunity for openness here. And, and that's encouraging. And the one thing about, and I don't think this is just unique for, for Israel or for Jewish people, but I think that in direct proportion to how, how big of a gulf they have to, to, to jump in order to come to an understanding of the truth of the gospel, they're not willing to give that up. You know, we, we typically don't see lukewarm believers here. Um, what you see is either they're, they're not interested at all or those that, that pass from death to life, they, it's theirs and they want to do something with it. They don't just want to sit and be back row believers. They, they don't want to be quiet. They want to do something uh, with what they've heard. And if we're going to, you know, if we're going to get anything done for the Lord here, um, I know it's not going to be us. It's going to be discipling people that have, uh, an insight and, and an availability into the culture here far beyond what we could ever have that are going to catch that burden and take that great commission seriously 
and, uh, and, and reach out to the people that are around them. And we look at our role as, as equipping. Yes, you know, the, uh, getting the gospel is, is important. We do that too. But now that we have a, a small group of people, we have young men, we have people that are still in the army, um, and we have pe- but the people that we have are sold out and are dedicated for the Lord and wanting to do something with that free gift that has been given to them. And uh, if the Lord just, if he grants us the time, then there is plenty to do. We we want to see this valley. We live in the Jezreel Valley, um, and we want to see as the the congregation here grows. Our plan is to take one or two as we grow, and then go and go a few more kilometers down the road and start something there and get a Bible study going and just see these small congregations dotting the Jordan or the Jezreel Valley. Um, from Megiddo all the way until you get to the Jordan Valley. And, uh, you know, we're seeing the first fruits of that. And uh, we're just we're just asking the Lord just for uh, barring barring the rapture, which, of course, we will be very happy to uh, put our plans to the side and uh, jump on that ship. Uh, we just are asking for just a little bit more time to uh, see that plan, see that vision down to fruition. Amen. Well, you you referenced earlier that, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, but they're uh, there is the other part and that, that, that you've been searching for since you've been in Israel. And it sounds like you have the, uh, as you say, the first fruits of that other part. And uh, I'm excited about what will come. I'm sure that you would invite and welcome and appreciate uh, the prayers of any of our listeners uh, for your longevity on that field, because there are some difficult hurdles that have to be uh, that, that have to be cleared in order to remain in the country and continue to nurture this little congregation that's showing such promise. But Brother Mo, I appreciate you. I'm, I'm so thankful for you, your, what you're doing, not only what you're doing, but the, but the fashion of what you're doing it thoughtfully, zealously, wisely. Um, I've, I've kept up with uh, with your efforts there. That from from before you you and your family relocated full time to Israel, and will continue to do so. So thankful for you, brother, and I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Amen, brother. My pleasure. This has been a, this this podcast has been a tremendous blessing to us personally, and uh, I hope it'll be a blessing to anybody that listens. Well, I hope you found the interview with Brother Mo helpful. I think it provided some good insights into Jewish missions. I invite you to join me in praying that the Lord would keep this family laboring in this field for the glory of God and the souls of Jewish people. As always, I'm grateful that you've tuned in. If you'd like to keep up with the program from week to week, there are a variety of platforms where you can subscribe and you can help others find the program by sending along a link or rating and reviewing the program wherever you may be listening. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.